Sorry. Yeah, Rod and Teresa are dear friends of ours, and if you know the history of Alaska, missionaries back in the 40s and 50s went up there and burned all the carving station and the community center as a way to say, hey, we don't want you to go to your community centers, we want you to go to church. Kind of evangelism through terrorism, so to speak. And so Rod and Teresa are going in and winning people's trust and friendships and relationships by serving them. What a novel concept for the church to go in and serve and love people and introduce them to Jesus that way. So they're doing great things, all right? This morning, we are entering into a new year. You know that that's upon us, and we do not know what the year 2020 holds for any of us, but I know this. We don't have to enter into it with a sense of dread. Today, we're going to look at just a small chunk of scripture out of the book of Philippians. Philippians is a book that was originally a letter that was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, to a church in Philippi, much like ours. And in this letter, he writes some really encouraging things to this young church that will be encouraging to us as well. And his words invite us to do some things that will help us to stand firm in our faith in the year 2020. And that's why I know we don't have to enter into this new year in dread, because we can enter into it knowing that my faith is going to be intact. I can stand firm in the Lord. So let's first of all look at Philippians chapter 3, just verse 1. Excuse me. Further, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. What an interesting verse. Paul is admonishing them to rejoice in the Lord, and for good reasons, because he says that the act of rejoicing will keep you safe which if you engage your brain, that sounds absolutely absurd. How can rejoicing, how can celebrating the goodness and the presence of God possibly keep us safe? That just sounds silly. It's kind of like for me, um, I remember growing up and we'd go to different camps when I was a youth pastor, and people would pray over the camps, and every once in a while somebody would say, well, we just stand against Satan and we pray for a hedge of protection around us before this camp starts. And Tom Haller, one of our ushers, and I would be at the camps, and we would start giggling. We would start laughing during that prayer because it brought to mind this picture. I know they meant well, but in my mind, it brought to mind this picture of the devil coming up to us and trying to attack us with all these temptations and deceptions and going, oh, no, I can't get to you because shrubbery. (laughs) There's shrubbery. There's a hedge of protection around you like shrubbery is going to keep the devil away from us. And so I couldn't listen to those people's prayers. I would just laugh at them. Maybe some of you grew up with a blankie. I know I did. You had a little blankie and you thought in your head, I'm not afraid of the monster under my bed or the monster in my closet because I have this impenetrable force The saliva-soaked blankie will keep me safe from these monsters, okay? It seems ridiculous, and it seems silly when a person comes to you, the Apostle Paul, and says, you know what's going to keep you safe in your life? You know what's going to keep your faith safe? Rejoicing, singing, celebrating God's presence. And yet celebration and rejoicing is quite powerful, and it can keep us safe, Let me show you it a couple of ways. First of all, it establishes community. I want to put up a quote from one of my favorite authors on the screen, and she talks about this. She says this, Singing somehow lifted them, and them for her was some people that had gone through incredible difficulties in their life. Singing somehow lifted them back to their feet and eventually gave them hope, which is quantum, and leads to generous action. 
Singing is breath that is larger than yourself. That's a genius line. So it joins you with space, with community, with other realms, and our deepest inside places. She was talking about these people that had gone through these soul-crushing events in their life. And then she says, singing, which happens to be a great way to rejoice. It's why we do it here every Sunday. Singing somehow lifted them back to their feet, established hope, and it created community with them. And that's an important thing to know because we all know that community brings safety. There's safety in numbers. That's why the first law of kindergarten when you went on field trips as a little kid is stick together. Followed closely by don't eat paste, but the first law was stick together. It's interesting to me that the word dwell is actually related to the old English word for madness. And I thought about that and I thought, they're right. It is madness. It seems crazy that we would choose to dwell together in community because of all of our fears and failures and quirks and diverse opinions on things. But we've got to because we're stronger and safer together. I just saw a movie trailer that's coming out for the new Top Gun movie. That means nothing to anybody under 40, okay? But for all of those of us over 40, Top Gun, 34 years ago now is when it came out. Does that make you feel old or what? Was this iconic movie starring Tom Hanks. And he's in, not Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise. They're both super cool, right? Okay, no, Tom Cruise, and he's in it again. And there's this great line in the movie Top Gun that I'll never forget. It's this, never leave your wingman. And that was like the theme of the first Top Gun movie, never leave your wingman. And that should be the theme of church. No matter how difficult community is, never leave it. Never leave your wingman because there's safety in community. All right? Number two, the second thing that rejoicing keeps us safe from is stinking thinking. You know, psychologists posit that 98% of our thoughts during a typical day are habitual. We think them all the time. And 80% of those thoughts are negative. So in other words, during a typical day, most of your thinking is just stinking thinking. It's of the negative, destructive variety. And much of that is because we all tend to be hypercritical of ourselves and other people. But rejoicing changes that because when you're rejoicing, you're not focusing on the negative. You're not being cynical. You're focusing on the positive. You're focusing on God's goodness and love and mercy and kindness. And so that stinking thinking, that habitual negative destructive thinking is broken. Maybe you've seen an example um, of an opera singer, and we have an opera singer that goes here. I'll have her sing something for us someday, and if she was here today, I was going to have her do this. But if an opera singer, if they hit this powerful high note, can actually shatter glass because the resonance of their voice is so powerful. That's such a perfect picture of what happens in the spiritual realm when we rejoice. When we rejoice and celebrate and sing to God, when we do that, the sound of our rejoicing resonates in the spiritual realm and shatters our stinking thinking. So we're saved from these constant ruts of negative and destructive thinking. And the last thing we're saved from is we're saved from spiritually sleepwalking our way through life. I want to put up two verses from Psalm 89. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who have learned to celebrate you, rejoice in you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. 
According to these verses, walking in an intimate relationship with the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord go hand in hand. When we rejoice in the Lord, what happens is we are awakened once again to his presence, a presence that he never promises to leave us. God won't do that. He promises not to leave us. But every once in a while, for one reason or another, our senses get dulled and we're just not aware that he's with us. Maybe due to pain in our life or problems or just busyness, our senses get dulled. There's a comic, Pete Holmes, and he says this about this particular process that goes on. There's nothing I can do to bring me closer to or farther from the infinite love of God. There are only things I can do that can increase or decrease my awareness of that love. So he was aware of the fact that every once in a while he just fell asleep spiritually and he wasn't aware of the presence of God. But there's things that he could do to make himself aware of that never-leaving presence. I love that. In the movie Australia, it was quite a few years ago. You probably don't even remember it. It did win a lot of Academy Awards, though. There was one little character, a little boy named Nola, and he got separated from a person that was basically his mom. And he goes, don't worry, Mom. When we're separated, I will sing you to me. That's what he said in the movie. And it struck me, and I thought, that's what it's like when we rejoice. We don't actually sing God to us because he never left, but we actually sing ourselves to him. We sing ourselves into the awareness of God, and we're saved from being spiritually numb. So rejoicing is powerful. Paul had it right. Rejoice in the Lord in the year 220. It's a safeguard for you. It'll help you stand firm in your faith. Second thing he tells people to do, is embrace the new. Embrace the new. I want to read Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, this perfection of the faith. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You cannot stand firm in your faith if you're stuck in the past. Did you hear me? You cannot stand firm in your faith if you're stuck in the past because the past doesn't require any faith. You already know what happened in the past. The past is all about certainty. The future is all about the unknown and the uncertain, and that is terrifying. The future requires us to embrace the new, which is not easy. That's why Paul said, I strain towards what is ahead. We're all going to have to strain to reach out for what's in front of us in the upcoming year, the uncertain, the unknown, the new. And that's not easy, okay, because it turns out we're hardwired to resist the new. I was talking with a group of people about this at a supper club meeting we were having, and there's this thing called the backfire effect. A few years ago, um, in the USC Brain and Creativity Institutes, they did an experiment, and participants were put into an MRI machine. And when they were in the MRI machine with all these electric wires hooked to them that were studying their brain, they were introduced to some counter-arguments to their currently held political beliefs. And you all know how strongly people feel about their political beliefs, right? So they were brought these counter-arguments that were against their political beliefs, and they discovered something. They discovered that the same part of our brain that kicks into gear and reacts to a physical threat also reacts to an intellectual threat. 
So what was happening here is most people believe that new information is a threat, at least at first. So when they were introduced to this new information that was counter to what they believed in, their brains kicked into fight-or-flight mode, okay? And that what happens when we kick into fight-or-flight mode, when we're introduced to new information, we react in one of two ways. We either run from it, that's flight, or we fight against it. This is why when you talk to someone about their strongly held beliefs, whether those beliefs are about education or politics or religion or worldviews or whatever, parenting, when you talk to them and you introduce new ideas to them that are counter to their currently held beliefs, they'll usually respond in one of two ways. First of all, they might kick into flight mode. They might run away from you. They might sever your friendship and say, I don't want anything to do with you because you pose a threat to them. This happens to pastors all the time, okay? Or they might kick into fight mode. They might attack you verbally, say awful things about you, and they might resist your new ideas even if they know they're true and right. It's crazy. And it's easy to see why this happens because we all have these core beliefs. And when we're introduced to ideas that make us question these long-held core beliefs, make us question if these beliefs are even true or even helpful in today's modern age, we freak out. This is what happens to first-year Bible college students all the time. It didn't happen to me because it happened a little bit later on in my life, but I watched it happen in Bible college. People go into Bible college their first year and they think, you know, I've got God all figured out and I've got religion all figured out and I've got the Bible pretty wired too. And then they go into their first theology class and all these new concepts and ideas and beliefs and thoughts are interjected into them and they freak out and they break down and they have an existential crisis and they think, if what I used to believe about this isn't true, maybe nothing I believe is true. And they have this crisis of faith. We're all going to have crises of faith in the next few years. I hate to say that to you, but it's true. We're going to have these belief-challenging moments. And the temptation is to pretend we've got it all figured out, to reject any new ideas and thoughts and just stay in our comfortable little house of certainty. And yet I'm warning you, God will have none of that. He is constantly leading us forward into the new and the unknown. And that's scary and awesome all at the same time. Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book called Big Magic, and she talks about this. She talked about the importance of embracing the new. Don't get stuck in the past. Embrace the new, especially embracing new ideas. And she said this, Ideas spend an eternity swirling around us, searching for available and willing partners. Oh, so the question for all of us in 2020 2020 is this. Will we come out of our house of certainty and grab a hold of the new, no matter how scary and threatening it seems as first? Will we think new thoughts? Will we try new things? Will we meet new people? Will we read new books? Will we even take on new beliefs that replace our old and outdated ones? Oh my gosh, it's going to be frightening, okay? And it's going to be scary, but faith always is. But if you freak out and you're having this existential crisis in the upcoming year, I want to show you a prayer that will help you. This is such a great prayer. You can just write this down later. And uh, in fact, we'll leave it on the screen for just a little bit. God of change and glory, God of time and space, when we fear the future, give to us your grace. As the old ways disappear, 
Let your love cast out all fear. Yeah, it's scary to embrace the new, but it's doable because there's a life out there that's bigger than what we've already experienced, bigger than our current beliefs, bigger than what we already know, and we've got to reach out for that. What helps me personally is not just that prayer, but one little word, a word I decided actually is going to be my next tattoo. It's going to go on my right arm, sweetie. I just want to break the news to you, okay? Getting another one, all right? And it's a Hebrew word. It's vayisa you. I'll put it up on the screen. Vayisa you. This is such a cool word. You're going to want a tattoo with this too. Bill, maybe we can go in together, okay? When Moses was reading the, leading the children of Israel and the nation of Israel out of slavery to Egypt... They wandered out into the desert, and they got stuck. Behind them was an angry pharaoh that wanted to drag them back into their past, drag them back into slavery. And ahead of them was a new and exciting life and a new world, but also a new problem. The Red Sea was in the way. And so they were freaking out. They thought it was all hopeless. And so they cry out to God, and God responds by saying this word, Vayisa you, which means go forward. That's all it means. That's what he said to them. Go forward. And I believe that's what God is saying to every one of us in the year 2020. He's saying, don't be trapped in the past. Don't be trapped in certainty. Don't stay in the predictable. Embrace the new. Vayisa you. Go forward. Oh, that's so good. I can't wait to get that tattoo. Okay. Number three, the last thing that he says to them to encourage them and help them stand firm in their faith is this. Know that God is up to something good. I want to read um, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, okay. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I love these verses because they encourage us that, hey, God is up to something good. No matter what the world looks like, God is up to something good. Namely, he is transforming our lives and our world. I want to talk about those two things. First, our lives. It mentioned in these verses, in these verses in chapter three, that God is transforming our earthly bodies. I don't know about you, But as I get older, I am so excited to have this body transform. It served me well for 56 years, but I'm looking forward to having an actual body that doesn't age, doesn't ache, doesn't creak, doesn't get sick, and most of all, doesn't die. I'm really looking forward to having a body that doesn't die because as I get older, I think more about death, and I'm not really that excited about it, okay? So I believe we'll all recognize each other in heaven because our essence is who we really are. We'll we'll recognize each other by the core of who we are, by our essence. But in case you get to heaven and you don't recognize me at first and you don't recognize me in a new body, this is what I'll look like. I had a friend do this for me. That's my face on Thor's body, okay? So just in case you get up to heaven and you're going, where is Tim? I'll go, I'm right here. I'm right here, okay? So we get a new body, but God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just work on our exterior. He works on our interior, transforming that too. I want to put up Philippians 1, um, chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on into the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, hey, God's not just going to change your outside body, your physical body, but he's going to change you on the inside. There are so many areas in all of our lives, and I know many of you, and this is just true, there's areas in all of our lives where we're just not up to speed. We're just not up to God's standards and ideals and dreams for our life. There's so many rough edges that need to be polished. We've got a long way to go, but we're going to get there. Tell yourself that. We're going to get there because God is faithful to finish the work he started in us. Slowly but surely, he's going to polish away those rough edges until we shine, until we resemble Jesus and how we think and act and talk and live and love. I can't wait to watch the changes in your life. It's one of my delights as a pastor to watch this process of transformation take place in your life. And I hope that this year you'll look at the transformation that he's doing in my life. Because by the end of this year, we're all going to look just a little bit more like Jesus. Transformation is so fun to watch. I'm going to show you a short music video um, that Josh Posner sings in. And um, Josh is a part of the band Naughty Boy, really great Christian group. You should listen to their music. <laughs> okay, but anyway, um, he does this video because he went through this glorious transformation in his life. And I can't quit watching it. I've probably watched it five or six times in the last month. So just enjoy this, and then I'll finish with the last point about God transforming the world. Go ahead. I stopped smoking weed a year ago. Yeah.
Thank you. I love that video because the transformation that took place in his life was just extraordinary. And he was transformed by walking 2,500 miles. We'll be transformed by walking with God through the year 2020. And it's going to be so fun to watch the changes take place. All right? Now, God doesn't just stop with us. He is also in the process of transforming the world. According to verse 21, he's bringing everything under his control. And this is a really, really good thing. When Jesus was telling people how to pray, teaching them how to pray, he gave this really famous prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And one line in it that particularly sticks out to me is this line, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us something here. He's saying something to us. He's saying, hey, the goal of this life is not just to punch our ticket to heaven and eject out of here someday. No, that's not the goal at all. The goal is to partner with God in bringing heaven to earth right now, to be a partner with him in this transformation project that he is a part of, ushering in his love and his joy and his ways on earth. This seems impossible when I think about it impossible. The darkness seems too thick. The pain seems too intense. The, the fear seems too overwhelming. The problems seem too numerous. The politicians seem too hmm, politician-y or whatever, okay? It's impossible. To think that God's going to actually transform this world into something good seems impossible, but no, it's not impossible because Jesus, that's why. Most people have three views of the world, one of three views of the world. And the first one is this, that everything is okay. Everything is okay. This is the realm that pop singers and happy, clappy Christians dwell in. Pain, what pain? Problems, what problems? Everything's unicorns and rainbows to me. That's the everything is okay view of the world. Now, other people have the, this view, everything is wrong. This is where the cynics live. They just tell you everything is wrong. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's all just one giant Depeche Mode or death metal song. It's all hopeless. So eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you might die unless you die today. Okay? That's where the everything is wrong. Everything is just black for them. And then the third group is this. Everything is possible. And this is where Jesus wants us to hang out. Everything is possible means that we can actually trust in his ability to change the downward trajectory that the world is on right now, to introduce to the world the beauty of the world of how it's going to be. There's a book I read called Homebrewed Christianity, and it's by a guy that brews his own beer and loves Jesus, okay? Two things go together for him, and he wrote about this. I want to put up a quote from him. I love this. Through the work of Jesus, the world as it is, is being introduced to the world as it will be when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah! So we should all pray the Lord's Prayer on a weekly basis. I believe in the year 220. Pray that prayer and especially pray that line, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and then just pause there right after you pray that line and say, and God Please help me to partner with you in ushering heaven to earth. Help me to do anything you want me to do that will bring heaven to earth and into people's lives in this year. That will be a life changer for us all. 
So there you go. There's the three things that Apostle Paul says to us that if we'll do them, we will stand firm in our faith in 220. I got so encouraged even planning this message. I hope it was an encouragement to you as well. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, thank you for the year ahead of us. May we enter into it not with some sense of dread, but with a sense of hope. Remind us to rejoice always because it really keeps us safe. We're safer together. We're safer when we're not doing any stinking thinking. We're safer when we're aware of how close you are to us. And Lord, please help us not to get trapped in the past. The past was great for many of us. For some of us, it was rough. But for many of us, it was great. But no matter what our past was like, Lord, instead, may we embrace the new in 2020. May we practice the yes you. May we go forward. And thank you, God, so much that you're up to something good no matter what the headlines are telling us. You're up to something good not only in our lives, but in our families and even in our world, Lord. Thank you for that. We can't wait to watch the transformation take place, and we pray that you'll help us to be a part of the process. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. If some of you need an extra dose of prayer, Jimmy's going to come forward. If you've never experienced a Jimmy prayer in your life, he is quite the prayer. So if you're looking at this year and even this next week going, I need a little help, Jimmy's here for you, okay? The rest of you have a glorious second holiday week as you celebrate our new year, and we'll see you here next Sunday. God bless you.